0: Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in response to the events of the amazing resurrection at Easter, it now becomes our job to discern how we respond to the events of Holy Week and Christ being raised from the dead. We are to discern how we are being led to live, to change our lives, to care for others, to welcome others to Christ's table. This is our call and our challenge. Let's do this together. Come on in.
1: Our first scripture reading comes from Psalm chapter 16 Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble, in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure, for you do not give me up. Shoal, or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: We are reading John 20, verses 19 through 31. This is still on Easter. Right before we pick up in verse 19, Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus. She thought him to be the gardener until he called her name and she called him teacher and realized that it was him. And she ran and told the disciples, I have seen the Lord and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is where we pick up. Chapter 20 verses 19. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1841, Edgar Allan Poe, master of the macabre, writer, novelist, poet, penned one of his first and early murder mysteries called Murder on Rue Morgue, a street in France. And the contents, the basic plot of this was that there's an apartment building on the fourth floor. The neighbors to an apartment of a mother and a daughter, heard screams, distress, and then silence. And then when the police came and were called, they found the room locked from the inside. They found a straight razor, two tufts of gray hair, gold coins, and other interesting clues. Bodies were later found elsewhere in and around the building, and so began what Poe was credited as locked-room murders or locked-room mysteries. Now, this was simply an early dateline, as we all know, yes, we watched some but also predated all of the shows that have a mystery kind of contained in one spot that you can't figure out. This was 40 years before Sir Arthur Conan Doyle started to pen Sherlock Holmes mysteries. He is credited with starting the lock room mystery concept that we still continue to see in short stories, in literature, certainly in movies, again and again and again. This morning, we have a locked room mystery with Jesus and the disciples. Instead of the question, who done it, we know right from the start, who done it? Jesus done it. So there they are. They are afraid. It is still Easter, they are still in grief mode. Jesus, their Messiah, who they gave their life to was killed, crucified, horrible. They have been grieving for days. They are in a locked room. Why? Because they're afraid that those who killed Jesus are now coming after them to stamp out this ridiculous Jesus movement, cut off the head of the snake, thinking Jesus dead, and the rest are afraid. But into the locked room, comes Jesus, and did not say, do not be afraid. First, this time he said, peace be with you. Peace is that term that the Greek equivalent, which this is written in, is Arane, which is very much like the Hebrew peace, which is what word? What is Hebrew for peace? Shalom, right. It doesn't mean an absence of tension. It doesn't mean you are rested or able to renew yourself. That's a part of it. It is a holistic understanding that shalom means it is, yes, your well being. It is, yes, to your good fortune, but it is also healing. It is wholeness. It is all of you, not just one piece. And so Jesus comes and speaks. To those there and starts and leads with that. Peace be with you. Surprising to say the least. Then he showed them his hands and side so that they would know, and they rejoiced. They finally got it, they saw it, and they rejoiced. And Jesus says it again as if a teacher has to get his class back together after they told him summer recess was going to start two months early and says, peace be with you again. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Now, this is John's account of what we call Pentecost, or the giving of the Spirit. It is quiet. It is just for the disciples in that room. Whereas in 50 days from now, which Vicki talked about, the and Pente- Pentecost, is 50 days from Easter to the Pentecost celebration. That will happen for us at the end of May, and we read Luke's account in Acts, Acts 2, of the grandiose spirit, the giving, the speaking in tongues, all of that spilling out into the street. It was a public spectacle and phenomenon. This was first with the disciples, just for them. In the same way in creation, when God breathed life and brought order out of chaos and breathed life into Adam, giving him life in the same way that Ezekiel in the valley of the dry bones Those bones were put together in human form, but not yet alive until God breathed God's breath, that Holy Spirit over them and gave them life. Happens here again. And then says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I'll come back. And then we get into the Thomas phase. Poor Thomas. Not the only doubter in this story The disciples didn't believe. They had to be shown, and Jesus showed them. They didn't believe without seeing, which is what Thomas says. Peter denied Christ. Mary Magdalene didn't believe until she saw, even though the angels, a supernatural phenomenon, told her that he had been raised, not until she saw him did she believe. He's not the only doubter. Wasn't there, don't know where he was but comes back a week later, still in that house, Jesus again comes and says the same thing. Peace be with you. And says directly to Thomas, put your fingers here. I need you to know it's me, it's me. And in his excitement, whereas the disciples rejoiced, he speaks the most concise affirmation of faith in the New Testament. My Lord and my God. It broke through to his doubt and fear. My Lord, Lord is generally a human term. A king is a Lord, Lord over others. And then my God, the divine part of God, Christ being both of those human and divine, Messiah, my Lord and my God. Not a bad way to start a conversation with Christ, God and the Holy Spirit. And said, had then Jesus says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those, our category, who have not seen and yet come to believe. Now, this interesting ending to this part of John wraps up the book of John and tells us why John wrote the gospel in the first place. John says, Jesus did so many of other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John says, i lifted up the good stuff. There is so much more that you should know that happened that aren't in this book. But I wanted you to know that, but I'm not including it. And he says, the reason I'm doing this is so that you may come to believe that Christ is Messiah, Son of God. And through believing, you may have life in his name. That is the purpose statement of the gospel of John here at the end you may come to believe that Christ is the Messiah, Son of God, and through believing, you may have life in his name. So the first thing I want us to learn from this is that the disciples experienced peace in the presence of Christ. It's so hard for us And their society was no better off than ours. I think we often think we live in the most broken and destructive time in human history. And their world was a mess of death and destruction and hatred and brokenness and war, just as ours is. But what they didn't have to deal with is what we have to deal with, and that's a 24-hour news cycle, which includes our broken politics that exploits our fear for their election, and our media, which often does the same. We are surrounded by it if we let ourselves. We can go home and watch horrible news from today, right now, until this time tomorrow. And the more that we do that, the more it starts to impact our souls, our spirits, our beings. We have to take some time away from the horrible news. Lest we give in and think all of this is destroyed, God has left us because that is not the case. The disciples found peace in the presence of Christ. Now he came to them in this case, but we knowing the end and how this works, we have to stop and take time to put ourselves in the presence of Christ. You have done so here this morning. That's good. That's a start. But it has to be more than just worship. You need to find time, whether that's an hour, whether that's an afternoon. Why is it that we often have God moments and retreats when we mission trips? When we stop the rest of the world, we're open to hear and listen the voice of God in different ways but we have to do that every day and every week and find that time or else we will be overwhelmed by the negativity and the darkness. We must find peace in the presence of Christ by continuing to place ourselves there in his presence. And that happens in a variety of ways. Seek that. Number two, Christ could have come into that room on a stallion with a crown on, with the heavenly host that was there at his birth to make sure that everybody knew and there was no doubt of his power, of his resurrection, of his glory. But he didn't do that. He came and he showed them his wounds. His wound. He made himself vulnerable to them so that they would know I did this. The fabrication of this whole Christian resurrection would never have happened because no one would have designed a messiah that was crucified, dead, and buried. It was not in their understanding of how any. Thing or anybody with power worked in that time. And Jesus doesn't come with power and glory to show him. He shows them his wounds and says, it's me, look. I think number two for us is that we need to find people in our lives just as Jesus did that we can show our wounds to. We have to have trust and enough people maybe it's one, maybe it's a group, maybe it's family, maybe it's church, we should be serving that function. To have people with which we trust, whom we can share our wounds with. Now you don't want to overdo that and you don't want to do it with people you don't know. You don't want to run to Publix and say, hey, I've got a horrible disease. Hey, I was bullied in elementary school, let me tell you about it. Jesus wasn't running around Jerusalem showing people at this point. He was with his disciples whom he know, knows and loves and trusts and vice versa. We need to make sure we have those structures in our lives. If not, we need to find them and develop them and we can help you here at church. The more that we can share and be vulnerable, that is strength. It is not weakness. And we often confuse one for the other. We often want to present the image that we are perfect and fine. We wave and we smile. We need to interact as a church family to find those that we trust so that we can bear one another's wounds with love as they bear ours. And three, after the second peace be with you, Jesus says to them, God sent me and so I send you. Very simple. The word apostle means to be sent. It's got post in the word. Like the post office, you send a letter. Apostles mean those who go in Christ's name. We are both disciples and apostles. And he says this phrase, those whom you forgive will be forgiven. Those whom you don't want." not It's the first time that Jesus is saying to them, I am getting ready to go. I am giving you everything that you need so that others will know that they are forgiven, so that others will know of our mercy, the grace that I have just secured for them, that they will know my resurrection glory, peace, hope, joy, love, challenge, that they don't walk alone, that I'm with them in this life and the next. And if you don't tell them, they ain't going to know. That's a lot to put on them then. It's a lot to put on us now, but the situation is the same. If we only keep our faith here, we are not sent. We are those who stay. This becomes that locked room where we're afraid of the outside world, about what's going to happen to us if we do not share and live our faith, and we do not let those out there know that Christ rose for them as well. The world is broken. There is darkness. There is hatred, violence, oppression. And we are called to not give in, to always be people of resurrection hope and to share what we know. Christ gives them the Holy Spirit right here so they will have everything they know. They now get it. They now have a mission. Their head and heart reconciled in their understanding of their journey and the event of Christ. So too do we need to start again today and know that we have been breathed on by the Spirit of God through Christ and that we are called to go out to be sent to remind the world of the resurrected Christ. Number 1 put yourself in the presence of Christ to reap the peace that only Christ can give. Bear with one another your burdens and your wounds that we may hold and love each other in Christ's name, Christ's name. And then finally, know that you have been empowered and given everything you need to go into the world to remind them of Christ's resurrection glory for all of them and for us. Hallelujah. Amen.